You're listening to Hawks Insiders, the home of all things brown and gold on the internet. Subscribe to our Substack for more Hawks coverage. Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here, and this is a special Hawks Insiders podcast. We're very shortly going to be joined by the football club head of high performance, Peter Burge, who has crossed over from Richmond. She's come back home because he originally was at Hawthorne before St Kilda and then playing a huge part in the success story that was the Richmond Football Club these last few years. But before Peter joined us, I am welcomed by co-host Darren Levine. Hello, Darren. Hey, Ash. Um, great to be here and, and, and just get a sense of how the preseason's going from someone who knows better than anyone. That's right. It is, as we record this, it is the eve of the intra-club game at La Trobe University, at which I will be at with Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Ash, good to be here again. And uh, yeah, like Dad said, I think the exciting thing is to be able to have a chat to Peter the day before the the intra-club and before our practice matches kick off. It's pretty good insight and uh, hopefully our listeners get a, a fair bit out of it. And he is about to join us, but don't we sound schmick with our new headphones and mic setup? We're trying to be more professional this year on Hawks Insider, so hopefully this is the first step. Absolutely. Hopefully, um, hopefully Peter has microphones as good as ours because um, he's he's going to sound like the odd one out. If he's he going to average change. Usually, it's a guess to sound better than we do. All <laughs> right, with uh, Peter's with us, and we're going to talk to him now. Peter Burge, welcome to Hawks Insiders. Thanks for having me. Great to have you with us. Um, it is the eve of the intra-club game. We're going to turn this around and get this up online even before that game starts. What is, just to start, what is the mood amongst the players, but also amongst the staff as the meaningful games get closer? And I guess in some ways the intra-club game is the first meaningful game. Yeah, that's right. You, you could feel the shift um, sort of early, probably Saturday when we sort of shifted into a bit of an in-season model with our program. Um, but certainly yesterday's main training session and today we just had a little um, Bar as Yama, as we call it, similar to well, same as captain's run, but that's what we call it with the Hawks. Um, and um, yeah, you can feel the energy, the coaches, the players, uh, just with that shift in seasons now that games are upon us, and um, and what that means, whether it's you know play, players fighting for for selection um, or going out and showing what they've just been practicing for the last three months. Um, you can feel that energy. So it's a, it's a good feeling for all of us. Tell us about your time at Richmond. Um, you were there for their golden era, um, yep. having been part of the Hawthorne one at the start anyway. What yep. were those years like at Richmond? What are your memories of it? And is there a player from the Tigers that, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's a guy, you know, I had a lot to do with and, you know, I was able to transform him into the, three-time premiership player he became? <laughs> um, it's a good Pay question. yourself on the back. <laughs> good question. I have been asked that question before um, as well. Um, oh, my, my reflection of being at Richmond 10 years, uh, uh, there's a lot of happy memories, a lot of fond memories there. and um, Probably the transformation of the club as well. Um, you know, there was the... Um, vision that Brendan and Gale set in 2010. I was still at Hawthorne at that time. And then I came in at 2.13 and they were just starting to improve and on the verge of the top eight. Um, but what I remember when I walked in was a lot of hungry, 
um, young players and some older players who are desperate for some success. And I remember just their approach to training and and um, just that desire because they hadn't been in the finals for quite a while. So that happened in year one, my year one. That was 2.13. But for the next three years, I think we'd lost pretty much the, the elimination final and were knocked out. So that was disappointing. But then, well, documented the transformation after a disappointing 2.16 into 17 and beyond that was was significant and and um, there were some significant changes within how we did things, whether it was how we trained, coaches coming into the club, support staff, uh, the mental side of the game we invested more in and the um, well-being of people, that all that stuff that's evolved at all clubs. But, um, yeah, I've got really happy memories. In terms of answering your second question, I'd like to think I had an influence on everyone um, I don't really want to single any one person out, but I think of the players like Jaden Short, Dan Butler when he was there, Jason Costa. I think of those guys, the guys that actually their careers, I won't say they were on the line, but there were stages that they were in and out of the team and there was that period where, well, it's going to go one way or the other. And they made significant improvements to areas of their game and their conditioning, which they drove themselves. I gave them the program to do that but they went away and did the work um and other players like Kane Lambert who I've had a bit to do with and and pretty close to as well seeing his development and just seeing the work ethic of a player like that is something that I walk away with and I've learned from someone like him I haven't taught him stuff I've learned things from him as well about about the game and about how to prepare and um they're the things that I walk away with um still developing in in my role at my age. Yep. So Peter, this is a Hawthorne podcast, and I think we've spoken enough about Richmond for my life. Yeah. Uh, as much <laughs> as I enjoy, enjoyed that story, and it was a good question from Ash. But, yeah, just keen to know what lured you into this Hawthorne project. And it is very much a project. We've got a lot of young players on the list. Uh, yeah. What was the appeal for you in, in, in taking on this new role? Yeah, um, naturally there were... There was personal appeal, having been somewhere for a while. Um, but the, the the main appeal was that I had worked at Hawthorne before and Hawthorne is a great club and that was number one. And the opportunity was there. So the decision was, do I do this now? And the opportunity is just not there again. So that was number one. But secondly to that was the youth of the group and and for me starting again a little bit with um, working with a developing up and coming group of players and coaches as well. That was the appeal. And um, I wanted to be able to be a part of that journey again and do that whole journey again, wherever that ends up. So yeah, Nat, the, the club though is a great football club and, and having been here before, I know what the club stands for. So that's why I'm back. Uh, it sounds amazing. Um, for those that maybe don't know Peter, and most should, but what can you describe your role and what it is you do sort of day-to-day with the playing group? Yeah, high performance manager is the title of my role. Every club has a different name or version. I guess I think of myself as the head of fitness, um, conditioning. So I'm pretty much responsible for the um, condition of the players are they fit enough? Are they fast enough? Are they strong enough? And I have staff that I work with, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab. 
I work alongside the medical team. So um, I, they don't work for me. I work with them and the doctor. We're a team. We work together. And, and the one thing I will say about that is to make and have success, you have to be cohesive and work together, um, which isn't always the case. But um, that's really important. That's some things I've learned on the journey. So, yes, if we have injuries, I'm the guy that will um, probably be answering the questions. Um, but that's okay. That comes with the territory. I, I understand that. But, you know, my job is to also find out why and and um, find ways of making those things not happen in the future or, or getting a better result. Yeah. I work with the coaches very closely as well. So I'm guiding them as to how long we train, what sort of intensity, what days. Um, I actually work, if not more, with the coaching group time-wise than my own group in the role speaking of injuries and hawthorne has been famously and i know all footy clubs are a bit like this but famously whatever the opposite of opposite of transparent is about injuries and supporters have often been gobsmacked to watch an injury report on a tuesday and then suddenly on when the team comes out late in the week someone's out with a two three week injury and i know this is very inexact science but do you have plans to be a bit more transparent about injuries and perhaps let supporters know what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, honesty is is the best way. Uh, I think one thing I will say is that it's sometimes we don't actually know within the first two to three days where this is going to end up because some injuries are, are complex and some are very straightforward. If someone has a broken bone or breaks a leg or does an ACL, we're going to be pretty upfront and give you a time frame and. But there's others, there's differing grades of soft tissue injuries. So I'll use hamstring injuries, for example. Um, there's stock standard hamstring injuries that are three to four weeks, and there's others that involve a little bit more tendon, and and they can take longer. And we think they'll be six weeks or eight weeks, but sometimes they're a little quicker and sometimes they're a little slower. So in week one, to say, oh, it's going to be eight weeks, it's 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 a little we're setting ourselves up occasionally by doing that. So we we like to give a range of time um, rather than say this is the exact date because some heal quicker than others. Um, and I've had experiences before where we've said one thing and then it's just taken longer. And ultimately, we want the best result for that player to not break down again. So, and there's others. You know, there are hamstring injuries that are only a week. Um, which people seem to always go to the 21-day thing, but they're, they're, we just know so much more now because uh, MRI scans and those sort of things are so much clearer and we've got a clearer picture of of these injuries than what we had 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, it was, yeah, that'll be 21 days. But, yeah, there's differing levels of those things. So to answer your question, yes, of course, we'll absolutely be as honest as we can and transparent because that's important for our fans to know, you know what that picture looks like. Do you think, um, in that sense, fan expectations are um, unreasonably high when it comes to transparency over injuries? I mean, it's there's a lot of armchair medicos out there diagnosing things when they see it on the field, and it must be a frustrating part of your role. Oh, it can be. I, I don't, I don't know what others say or look, you know, read online stuff, but um, yeah, at times. I guess you get that feeling that there's some frustration and that can come across even from internally, from coaches from time to time. But at the end of the day, the number one thing that we need to do is make sure we do the right thing for the player, 
and their preparation, but be as transparent as we can to our fans and let them know how long someone is going to be. Mitch Lewis is probably a classic example of that at the moment. Um, you know, we're, we're not dealing with a, an ACL rupture at all. It's um, He doesn't need surgery. He just needs some time for the little incident and the little tug that that ligament you know, had in an innocuous incident, just for that to heal, to glue up, be strong enough, and for him to have stability and strength to cope with the rigors of football. So there's a time frame on that, um, and we've sort of expressed that it'll be in the early part of the season we expect he'll return. It's when we get closer we can be more precise. Once he's actually conditioning and running and changing direction, then we can say, oh, yeah, we think it's going to be this, and that's when we'll be really honest about that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just touch base on, I guess, you know, you, you mentioned before, Peter, around the differences between the Richmond list where it's currently constructed and, and the Hawthorne list. What does that mean from a preseason perspective? And I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would have thought coming into a new club with a really young, underdeveloped physically list that there's a there's probably a change in the way you have to conduct a preseason and set individual programs and stuff like that. Um, what's been the change dealing with experienced older bodies coming to Hawthorne and dealing with a, like a really young list? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's it's something I had to think about long and hard um, coming in because obviously, you know, there's a certain way and style that I've done things and do things, but I need to develop the best thing for Hawthorne. And what we've got here. So the age demographic comes into that. And, you know, what you get with young athletes is enthusiasm, the want to do more and more and more. But we do have to temper that because there is a limit. We want them on the park. Um, There's no value in rehab. It's very hard to develop your football skills in a rehab sense. So that's been a challenge um, with such a young group. But what I have found is, is they're quite resilient. And they can handle some pretty decent workloads, even as a young group. Um, the draftees we take care of a little bit more. We tend to manage them out of two drills on a main training session and, and keep an eye on their loads. And then you've got the older group, that have been, well, the four players that are in our older group as well, um, who you need to take care of them. Um, you know, Punky Brewster and um, James Sicily, those sorts of guys. So... I'm still getting to know them all, but what has been great is we had a little, few little speed bumps early um, because there were some changes in program, but we've we've sort of gone past those little bumps and I feel like the groups handle it really well. So the workload has been pretty high, but where does it go in the next two to three years? It, it definitely increases and we do things more specifically and, um, yeah, there's a plan. There's definitely a two to three-year plan in my mind of where this ends up. Uh, follow-up question to that before I throw over to Ash, who's looks like he's ready to ask one as well is I just wanted to know, is there anybody on the list at the moment that you've sort of, you've uh, just attacking pre that you've had to almost hold back from to, to protect them from this, from themselves. Cause I know that every list has those types of, you know, real beasts who just want to attack preseason and, and just love the hard work. Is there anybody you've had to hold back? Yeah, there's a, there's, there's definitely a few, um, so when I came across, I was involved in giving them their off-season programs as well. It was a pretty quick transition out of where I was and where I am now. So straight away, I realised that some of these guys were attacking these programs pretty hard. So someone like Josh Ward comes to mind, who's you know a, a very uh, 
talented footballer, but athletically very gifted as well. And um, we had a few little niggles early because Josh's enthusiasm was, he just wanted to do everything at 100 miles an hour. So we had to pull him back a little bit and then manage those issues into the Christmas break. And, and we've come out the other side really well in the last two weeks. Um, Ned Long is another one on the list who's just an animal the way he goes about things. So, yeah, there's players like those guys um, and there's others too that as I've gotten to know, I've realised, oh, okay, it's time. I've probably got to go up to them on the training track and say, hey, guys, you've done enough. Um, let's wrap it up for today. But you love that enthusiasm and you love that desire to want to do more. You'd rather that than somebody who who doesn't want to. Yeah. So I'm really interested. You touched on this before. Very quick turnaround for you. So you reported Hawthorne well before the season. You were announced at Hawthorne well before the season finished. And at a time when Hawthorne were putting a lot of players into pasture almost for, so they'd be ready for the start of pre-season. The suspicious journalists in me would suggest that you were very quietly, even though you 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 were you able to sort of talk to Hawthorne and say, this is what you need to do, or did you just turn up day one, the day after Richard finished their season, and then suddenly go and create 40 off-season programs? Yeah, that's pretty much it. No, I was very... I think both clubs are very aware of the situation and and I was, you know, I worked somewhere for 10, 10 years at Richmond and I was very loyal to to finishing the season, doing the right thing there. And we were in a finals campaign, or they were at the time. So, no, there was definitely a, an end point and a start point um, in terms of my involvement with the Hawthorne players, but it happened very quickly. It was, it was early September, Richmond had finished in their finals and a week later, um, you know, I was starting to get some phone calls and get involved. But my official start date was November 1 and we stuck to that and that's when I turned up. So so the players probably, the Hawthorne players, they were already six weeks into their, four weeks into their off-season, say, by the time you finished at Richmond. So they, they, they were pretty much waiting for you to start and then tell them what you wanted them to do in the lead-up to the start of training. Yeah, there was there was some staff here that I knew and I've previously worked with and I had spoken to them prior to that and said, you know, you, you plan the program that you've usually gone with and when I start, we'll make some transitions in that program in the off-season and that's what we did. All right, so last thing on this, okay, so you weren't involved in that, that and look, you're absolute pro Richmond and no doubt about that, but when you saw the Hawthorne players, being managed, and you had a game against Hawthorne a couple of weeks before the end of the season. Where Hawthorne had quite a weak team in. Were you sort of secretly pleased that they were just getting players ready to attack preseason? Was that were you admiring that or satisfied with that from from afar? No, no, I was hundred <laughs> percent right. I really wanted the Richmond players to have another crack at it, and um, and I wanted to as well because there was some momentum happening at the end of last season, but it. It didn't work out that way. So, yeah, that was a difficult situation, no doubt about that. Um, I was copping plenty at Richmond, don't worry. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was just absolutely focused on what I was doing. Sure. Um, obviously, you were at the club from 2005 and, and, and watched that incredible, unexpected premiership in 2008. Um, uh you know, you, you saw the emergence of, emergence of that really young, hungry Hawks team there. You saw the emergence of that hungry Richmond team when you were there as well. Are there any parallels to to this list 
that we have now that, that you're seeing, um, you know, from, from previous groups you've been involved with? Um, parallels in terms of enthusiasm, physically different, very different. Um, this list at Hawthorne athletically is very, very impressive, um, more than I expected. Um, so some of the things they've been able to produce in various different running trials or training sessions has um, exceeded what I was expecting. And there's players that I've seen from afar that now I see on the inside that I go, wow, uh, you know, Chankwath, Jaff, it's one of those that I just watch the way he trains and his dynamic acceleration, his endurance as well is is as good as I've seen. So, but there's some other things that this group didn't know about training um, or maybe that I've doing a bit differently that they're learning, which I've seen some upside in very quickly as well, which um, is impressive. And I haven't had to remind them about those things every session. They've just gone right. That's what you expect. That's what we're doing. And they've trained it. I said, give them the thumbs up. That's what we're looking for. And I haven't had to remind them since. So they're very receptive and they really want to learn quickly. And um, that's exciting as a coach because that's what you want. You want to see them grow as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's interesting you you mentioned the athletic prowess of this group. And it, it does seem like there's been a shift to recruit for, um, you know, that recruit players that are kind of more athletic than maybe on the skill side in terms of endurance running or in terms of, you know, Josh Weddle just being such an all-round athlete. Do you, do you, you know, that's the perception from the outside. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think Hawthorne's recruited that way? Um, no, I think they've recruited good footballers as well, definitely. Um, but I think all clubs, and certainly where I've been before, they definitely are looking more at the athletic side of the game but football, number one, they've got to be able to play the game. Um, but the game is as hard as it's ever been as well. Um, you know, we're, we're down to 75 rotations. You know, it was unlimited at one point. Uh, the rule changes and just clubs, the way they train now with the intensity they train at um, compared to 20 years ago when I, when I started, uh, it has shifted quite a bit. You know, there's GPS systems, there's all sorts of metrics that we can measure our drills so it just creates competition and um, and that intensity of training that that you actually have, you need to do. You need to train a certain way to be able to play a certain way. Yeah, I mean, obviously things have changed so much since you entered the game. Is that you know what what are some of the constant things that have that have always been part of a high performance program? Um. Well. Well, the things that have changed, I've just talked about GPS and training intensity. So we may not train as long sometimes as we did 20 years ago, but the amount of Ks at low speed and the amount of kilometres at high speed and very fast speeds is significantly higher than what it used to be. Um, but there are other constants that are exactly the same, um, you know, skill skill level and executing those things need to be number one. Um, you know, strength work in the gym, injury prevention, some of those methods have improved over time. We've got much better at screening and, and catching stuff before they happen, particularly around groin, uh, groin pain, probably an example medically. You know, osteitis pubis was 
15 years ago, everyone was talking about it and everyone, someone had it, but um, our medical teams are so much better equipped now with uh, whether it's technology or, or screening tools to, to catch it before it actually happens. And young players are in particular really important. Yeah. Peter, you mentioned before that we have uh, an incredibly athletic list and um, it's definitely a, a, a way, you know, you see the um, endurance, uh, the time trials, those sorts of things. You've got Fu McGuinness, Ned Long, um, Max Lynch, uh, Josh Ward, um, Chankoth Giath, you know, Dylan Moore, Lockie Bramble, to name a few. Uh, and then we've had this young guy in Josh Weddle just come in and be right at the top. What's it like seeing an 18-year-old kid come in and be able to handle that endurance and 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 compete at a level with seasoned AFL footballers? And did that catch you guys off guard at all? Yeah, it caught me, certainly. We we did a session. We did four 1K repeats. Um and I thought, oh, look at this young bloke. He's he's flying. You know, he's you know goes out first rep, and you think he's probably going to blow up. He's bitten off a bit more than he can chew there. But every rep, he was just powering on, and he just wanted more. And what I saw was an attitude, and thought, wow, this is impressive. Um, and then the the results as well. And he's, you know, he's run better than some pretty decent athletes behind him, and the names you just mentioned. So there was just that hunger in this young guy to work. And that's the thing I took away from and not just the actual running. And that's what I've seen consistently with him uh, as well. And it's the power as well. It's not just the ability to keep running. It's the power that uh, Josh runs with. But there's others as well in this in this group who show that. Um, so to be seeing that so early in our um, in a new program is is quite pleasing and because – they should only get better, uh, but young guys will get will get heavier as well. Uh, their body weights will change and increase. So the challenge is, is as they develop physically, can they still run with that same endurance and speed? And it's finding that balance, which is the challenge for us uh, fitness blokes, and to make sure that we get the right balance for football and um, a game that lasts two and a half hours. It's a great segue, Peter. There was a video on the Hawthorne website for members that went out last night, which I was uh, I was watching. Uh, it was a day in the life uh, with Connor McDonald, and he actually talked about um, doing heading into the gyms into a gym session, saying he wanted to put on a bit more weight, but not too much weight because he wanted to keep his zip and his um, you know his agility. And I, I'm sure that that's a really difficult balance. And then for other players, you've got. Um, you know, Hawthorne have some quite lightly framed players, which I'm sure you're working with, um, the likes of Will Day, Denver Granger Barras. What's the process there with trying to build their bodies to be able to cope with the rigours of AFL football? Because we've seen these guys in their short careers to date, um, you know, maybe not be able to get through seasons because of, you know, either contact injuries or muscle injuries or whatever. How do you work with those guys? Uh, and not just those two, but, you know, in general, the the lighter frame bodies to be able to cope with um, the physical demands of an AFL season? Yeah, it's a great question and something that gets talked about a lot. You know, you hear uh, putting weight on this guy and you got to find the optimal level because, you know, if you change one thing, something else generally gets compromised or changes as well. So it's finding the optimal level for those players. 
And I hear that said a lot, putting on weight, putting on weight. Well, my approach is we want them to get stronger and more powerful. And if that comes with a little bit of added mass, then that that's what happens. We're not going out there to try and just add weight to somebody because that's really easy to do. I can just send them to McDonald's and they can add five kilos in five weeks just eating rubbish. So we need to be really clear about what we're talking about. So we want them to become stronger and more powerful and be able to execute what they have to do on a football field repeatedly over two and a half hours and four quarters, which requires in speed endurance and all those things we talked about before. So it's just finding the right level for each player and what they can tolerate. And sometimes you experiment with that and something that kind of, yeah, we want his frame to develop physically and he will probably get a little bit heavier and had some more muscle mass on him over time, but to add, you know, five kilos to apply very quickly can be quite detrimental as well. And then you end up with other sorts of issues to manage. So it's a fine line between trying to fast track um, physical, comp, you know, physical qualities and keeping them healthy and also keeping them at a level where they can execute and perform the game. That video was really illuminating yesterday. But what struck me was at the moment, it was almost 12 hour a day for McDonald, uh, for Connor, from start to finish, and included an hour's drive between Latrobe and the club in the middle of the day. How less than ideal has it been? To, and I know that we don't want to go to the reasons why, but to to have to break up the day with an hour's commute from the match sims back to the club. And how do you manage that? Yep, that's had some challenges, and it's it's the players have been unbelievably. Um, fantastic with their approach so we've we're starting our days much earlier than we um had done training at waverley but the afternoon program is still at the same time so we just moved everything forward an hour uh, so our first meeting is at 7 30 if we're at latrobe and we're on the track at 8 30 training and then when we fi- if it's a long session and we finish at 11 30 or thereabouts then they've got the 45 minute drive back in the car which it's not ideal because you stiffen up a little bit. You get out of the car at the other end and oh, it takes, you know, some guys are sore. We get them in the pool and get them moving again, active recovery. And then they have lunch and they come good again. But it, yes, it's not the ideal preparation, but the players have been great. That No one's really complaining about it. It just is what it is for the moment. And um, we've had some great football sessions at La Trobe. It's a, it's a very good ground. It's a big ground and it's really enabled us to, um, do everything we wanted to do. So hopefully soon we're back out here full-time training as well. So the other then throwing forward is in 12, 24 months, whenever it is, Hawthorne moved to Dingley as a head of high performance. Are you getting a say in the facilities? Are you getting a chance to shape what you would like to see from it to, to, to optimise uh, player performance? And is that exciting? Yeah, it is. And, and the answer is yes, I am uh, very early on. When I started, I was brought into some meetings and saw the plans, and it's it's an exciting project and um, one that I've enjoyed already being involved in. So there's some things I've been able to influence, whether it's around the recovery centre or uh, the gym, um, meeting rooms, all sorts of things. But um, the plan that was already in place was was impressive. So yeah, being able to get involved there and and have some influence and that's a it's just going to be super exciting to to get to that point when we 
you know, can have our first training session out there and, um, yeah, 18 months away, I'm told. A player that everyone's intrigued about at Hawthorne is Chad Wingard. Really, his fifth season at the club, he's only had one uh, complete pre-season. If you, uh, and we don't go through every player on the list, but the, the, how's his pre-season going? Have you done anything differently with him? Did he sit down with you when you started and say, things I've tried haven't worked, we need to try something different ahead of this pre-season? Um, yeah, we did. We did catch up. Uh, and when I got here, Chad was actually already doing quite a bit of training. He uh, finished he early. Was, he finished at the bye last year. That was the early. He was the first one to pull up stumps ahead of pre-season. I'm just wondering how the program's changed. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I got here, he'd been running for about eight weeks. So he was ready to fully train from day one, which he did. And as I've gotten to know him, we've been able to get a routine going where he's doing as much as possible um, and working on some things as well. And he's bought into that and I've found him really great to work with. I've certainly been listening to Chad and his experiences over time as well. Um, but uh, he's he's been going fantastically well and we're preparing him to play against Geelong next week and um, he won't play tomorrow. So there's a, there's a couple of guys not playing tomorrow. So he, he's still just going to be in a training phase this week, preparing to play next week. And that's just how it's worked out. He's played some intra-club. Well, we've, we've been doing match practice every week since the second week of Jan. So he's been involved in some of that already. Um, but our preparation is more for the Geelong game and the game after that against Collingwood. But um, Watched him a few times in some match practice and it's pretty impressive what he can do. He's definitely he's definitely a f- uh, phenomenal power athlete. I think you can see that in the way that he plays, um, how he bursts from stoppages and how he can create that separation. Um, and that's not a, a skill that all players have, and it's definitely very handy in the roles that he plays. Um, you you touched on um, the fact that he's missing tomorrow's um, match. Sim, can you give us uh, who else is actually missing? I'll get straight to the point. Who who won't we see tomorrow? And then um, who are a couple of players that you think we should keep an eye on um, tomorrow in that match simulation um, that you think you know based on their on their preseason should be uh, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, um, Mitch Lewis, Harry Morrison are the two most obvious ones not playing tomorrow. Uh, Emerson Jecker won't play tomorrow. He just had a little niggle towards the end of last week and we just backed him off. We've just taken the safe call not to play him tomorrow but prepare him for the Geelong game. Um, Josh Morris is the other one who's had a longer-term shoulder um, reconstruction which is now starting to turn the corner for us. He's still probably a month away um, from full contact and rejoining the group. Uh, but conditioning really well. Got He's in very good physical condition. Uh, I think that's about it. In terms of players to look out for, um, Carl Amon has come to the club from Port Adelaide and... Um, you know, watching his training intensity, his running ability, his skill level. Yeah, impressive player. I've only seen him from the outside previously. Um, but watching the way he trains and prepares himself, he's someone I think everyone should be looking forward to um, in our in our team. Um, Josh Ward mentioned before, uh, Chankwath, um, you know, Cozzy, he's 
you know, a stronger body now. He's developing. Um, yeah, he's he's had a great preseason. Ned Reeves, Ned Reeves has had an excellent preseason. He's uh, slowly growing, as in getting bigger and stronger. Um, as a ruckman, they can take a while to develop his uh, endurance this year. He's really worked hard on that and improved that. Uh, you got Lloyd Meek from Fremantle as well, who's a really big, solid uh, unit. And so, yeah, they're just a couple to mention, but um, yeah, there's so many more too. There's, you know, Sam Butler, um, you know, Connor McDonald, those sorts of players as well, who we're seeing developing right before our eyes. And um, yeah, it's exciting. Well, Peter, I'm definitely excited after that. And um, I, I was wondering, are there any players that would maybe surprise us with their levels of athleticism? I mean, it's so obvious that Weddle's a huge, you know, running unit and 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 CJ, but anyone who, like, took you by surprise? Uh, oh, there were, there, were, there were quite a few. There were quite a few. I remember the very first day when we did the our running trials, there would have been eight or nine blokes that I thought, wow, okay, that's quicker than what I expected. And, you know, you can only compare to what you know, but, um, yeah, without going into absolute numbers and those sorts of things, there were, there were plenty. Jai Sarong, who's a young player, um, you know, a taller player as well. His his endurance, um, his dy- dynamic nature of how he can move. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of them. Um, I'd probably almost go through the whole list if I mentioned more by name, but yeah, we've got young young Josh Bennett's um come onto the list, category B rookie. There's some things he can do, you know, might not be endurance, but there's some things he can do, you know, agility-wise that that are impressive. And years ago I worked with a young player named Tyson Stengel, who was a rookie, and um and there was some things that he was doing at the time. Yeah, he wasn't blessed with endurance. That was a knock. He was picked up as a rookie in the early days. Didn't have any endurance, speed. Now he's turned into a premiership player at Geelong. And um, the one thing I've learned over the journey is you, you just can't judge too early some of these young guys at 18 and what they could develop into with some work and being in a professional program with the right information, the the right nutrition strategies, all those sorts of things. Yeah, sometimes it can surprise you in a couple of years where some players can actually end up. Practice matches heart and mouth time for fitness and high-performance stuff. You've got to play them, but if a player gets injured now, has some sort of injury, the supporters are saying, why do they play? Why are they playing these Mickey Mouse games? What's your mindset for the, over these sort of tomorrow and then the uh, – the Geelong Collingwood games to come. Yeah, as a general rule, we've got to get them out there. They've got a condition to matches, match play. It's it's there's these layers that we go through into round one. You um, you train, then you then you do an intra club. So that's a step up. That's a another layer, and then you go from intra club to um, a preseason game against Geelong. That's another step up in intensity, and then the next step up is round one. You've got to adapt to these different levels of intensity um, and you need all your players going through that. The old, some of the older guys, you will modify their game time and protect them a little bit. You know, there might be a case where against Geelong, we might play a senior player for half the game, not the whole game. 
So you're trying to maximize their adaptation to match intensity and try and minimize, you know, the chances of something happening like that. But um, yeah, I, I just we just get them out there and prepare them to play and get ready for round one. You can overthink this, and certainly you get a bit nervous at times. But um, you've just you've just got to go through that process. All right. Well, it is the eve, as I said, it's the eve of uh, the next step of the preseason, which is the intra club game, which is, I guess, a step up from the match sim that you've played over the last uh, few weeks. Peter, we thank you for your time on Hawks Insiders. It's been really illuminating. I think supporters and our listeners will get a heap out of that, a bit to get excited about, and perhaps a, a touch of realism as well, which is what I think everybody at Hawthorne or as far as Hawthorne will need a bit of as well this year but uh thank you for your time best of luck for the season and uh perhaps we'll touch again uh, touch base with you again during the middle of the season uh will you be doing the weekly uh tuesday afternoon the world stops for the inter- injury reports will that be you this year or you get share the love no i, I believe so I'm, I'm happy to do it i'll be there every week if the club wants me to do it but yeah i'm used to doing it so i'm expecting to do it but um Someone else will make that decision. <laughs> oh, we, we look forward to those. Thanks for your time. We'll, some of us will see you at uh, Bandura tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk again through the season. Thanks for your time. Thanks, guys. That was Peter Burge, Hawthorne High Performance Manager. And I think, you know, with, no, with all due respect to a couple of filled the position beforehand, you get the feeling the club's in very safe hands in, in what is such a critical area of the club. Oh, he couldn't have been more impressive today. And uh, if Hawks supporters are listening to this before tomorrow's uh, intra-club match, uh, I don't know how you can not get excited about the state of our list, the athletes on our list, the young players and their potential for development, um, you know, the ability for somebody like Peter to just take them from where they are and, and multiple levels. And I think that's all you want. You want a strength and conditioning coach that um, can instill certain standards. And Peter definitely sounds like he does that. And, and that we can have a conversation with him and he, and he's real upfront about who's flying, who's where, who they're managing, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's incredible. That's, that's the sort of clarity and, and um, you know, sort of transparency that Hawthorne supporters have been asking for. And it's great to be able to be a small part in helping to provide that. And isn't it great that Peter's just focused on working with our young players rather than trying to rehabilitate uh, players from other clubs? Maybe. <laughs> no no specifics there though, right? That's... No, no, just, uh, <laughs> just in gen- general. Just yeah, talking yeah. generally. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a super impressive um interview and just really loved hearing from him and i'm i'm pretty excited I, I don't know about you boys i think you mentioned every single player on the list there so um looking forward to the to the game tomorrow and obviously to this to the season proper well i think the the the, the self him was to come to a club in uh starting out again i think intellectually that's a challenge for him and gives him a stimulation i mean i was at richmond the other day and it's it Managing Richmond now would be just steady as she goes. Um, and I think for, for some of his point of view, the, a bigger challenge for him now would be to see what he could uh, start again at Hawthorne. Andrew Russell he did such wonderful work at Hawthorne. He's finding the same thing. He's now gone through that process at Carlton and he's loving it. And I think Birch, Peter Birch will go down the same path. So that's been our special edition podcast on Hawks Insiders. We thank you as always for your support. $5 a month, $50 a year. 
There'll be more great content like this. Another very senior Hawthorne official will be joining us next week in the lead-up to the Geelong game. So this is the place to come to hear from the people that matter at the Hawthorne Footy Club. Um, We will have a a brief preview of the intra-club coming up on the substack uh, in the game, which one of us is going to have to write at some stage in the next few hours. And then join us on, and we'll have a, a review as well. Danny and I are going to be there. We'll have some sort of review of some early quick impressions of the Intra Club. And then join us, as always, 8.30 AEDT. Darren, I think what it is, Thursday night. You won't be there. You'll be mincing around Sydney somewhere. But the rest of us are going to talk, review the practice match and other Hawthorne matters on our regular Thursday night spaces. So thank you, Danny. Thank you, Ash. Thank you, Daz. Thanks, Ash. And we will... Talk to you again very soon on the Hawks Insiders. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more. 